Aren't you thankful that we have a friend that sticks closer than a brother? And he'll never leave us and he'll never forsake us. And I'm thankful that you're here today. It's already been a great day in God's house. I'm looking forward to diving into God's word today. Is anybody else looking forward to diving into God's word today? I want to encourage you to grab your Bible and you can remain standing this morning. And if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to go to 2 Kings in the Old Testament. 2 Kings chapter number 22. Next week, we're kicking off the Christmas season officially, and uh, we're going to have some decorations set up. We're starting a new series next week that I'm looking forward to, uh, to kick off the Christmas season. But today I wanted to bring a special message that God put on my heart about the heart for the house, heart for the house. And so today for a few minutes, we're going to speak to this subject. We're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 22. If you don't have a Bible today, there should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, that Bible is our gift to you. And uh, you can take that Bible home this morning. But we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 22. And we're going to start reading in verse number 1. If you're ready, would you say amen? The Bible says this. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jedidah. In the daughter of Adiah of Bozkath, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And he walked in all the way of David his father, and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. And it came to pass in the eighteenth year of King Josiah that the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, the scribe, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest that he may sum the silver which is brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the door have gathered of the people, and let them deliver it into the hand of the doers of the work that have the oversight of the house of the Lord. And let them give it to the doers of the work which is in the house of the Lord to repair the breaches of the house. Unto carpenters and builders and masons and to buy timber and hewn stone to restore the house. Howbeit there was no reckoning made with them of the money that was delivered into their hand because they dealt faithfully. Everybody say faithfully. And Hilkiah the high priest said unto Shaphan the scribe, I have found. Everybody say, I found it. I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. Today I want to speak for a few minutes on this subject, the heart for the house. Let's have a word of prayer together today. God, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. Thank you for this opportunity to come together and to worship you on a weekly basis. Lord, I pray that we would not take this time for granted, but that we would uh, dial in and focus on your word. I pray that we would all recognize what it means to have a heart for the house. God, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit. I pray that you would meet with us in a special way during this time. We love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. You can find a seat this morning. How many of you dread those annual family pictures? Anybody like that? The annual or semi-annual family pictures, right? I'm thankful that our family is now at the point where our kids 
uh, have come to an age where we don't have to coerce them as much to smile. They can kind of do it on their own. Uh, but how many of you parents know that sometimes to get your kids to smile, you will make them all kinds of promises and you will beg them and try all kinds of tricks to get uh, those kids to smile for uh, family pictures. And uh, recently we were taking family pictures and my daughter Blakely, uh, when she wants to be, she can be very photogenic and she's just uh, passionate about smiling and energetic. But there are times when she is just absolutely not feeling it. And uh, we were taking family pictures and she was doing great, but she hit a moment, she hit a wall where she just thought, I'm done. No more taking pictures. And we were trying to convince her and to coerce her to smile uh, for the family pictures. And we got this picture right here. And this is Blakely. And uh, she is trying her best. That, that's a smile. Okay. She's trying her best uh, to smile, but you can easily tell that her heart's not in it, right? Uh, you can always tell if the smile is authentic or if it's not. And I thought about that and I thought so often that is uh, the case for followers of Jesus when it comes to serving the Lord. We show up, we're there, we know the routine, we know the verses, we can quote them uh, with the best of them. But so often the reality is our heart is not in it. And we show up and we're there, but is our heart engaged in what God has called us to do? And by the way, uh, Jesus said, if there's one thing that I could tell you and one rule to focus on, one law to abide by, it's this. Jesus said in Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus said unto him, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Everybody say, all thy heart. And with all thy soul and with all thy mind, with everything that is within you, uh, he's saying, love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, uh, give it everything that you have. So with all your heart, with all your soul. Now, in the Old Testament, there was a king named uh, David, and David received a pretty great compliment. David was a man after God's own heart, right? And uh, how many of you would say that's a, that's a pretty good compliment, right? We all like compliments. Uh, how many of you that did not raise your hand the first time would say, yeah, that's a pretty good compliment. Okay, there we go. Just making sure everybody's engaged today. And uh, I think it was Mark Twain that said that he could live a whole month off of one good compliment, right? And uh, that's a pretty, pretty great compliment to be considered a man or a woman after God's own heart. And so this is the question that I have for us today. Is your heart currently in alignment with God's heart? Is your heart currently in alignment with God's, not, not just are you showing up, not just are you doing what you're supposed to be doing, but is your heart engaged in what God has called you to do? Now, if there's one thing that we know is central to the heart of Jesus, it's the church. Uh, the Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, husbands love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And I hear people say, you know what? I don't need to come together and to gather with the church. And I don't need to gather with God's people because I can just go to the ocean. I can go to the beach and I can connect with God there. And uh, besides, the church is just kind of filled with hypocrites anyways. And so I'll kind of just worship on my own time. Hey, just remember that Christ loved the church and he gave his life for the church. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so if you read the Bible for any amount of time, you quickly understand and realize that the church is pretty important. That God loves the church. Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, David was a man after God's own heart, and we see that David uh, had a heart for the house. Uh, I love that David just had this passion for the house of God. In 1 Chronicles 29, verse number 3, it's kind of the theme verse for our special offering uh, on December 12th. It says this, Moreover, because I have set my affection my heart to the house of my God, of mine own proper good, of gold and silver, which I have given to the house of my God, over and above. Everybody say, over and above. 
over and above all that I prepared for the holy house. Because David had a heart for the house, that led him to radical generosity. Uh, David just said, man, I, I was glad when they said unto me, let's go to the house of the Lord. David loved God's house. The Bible says this in Psalm 27. It says this, one thing have I desired. This is the one thing that I have desired of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. David could have said, if there's one thing that I want with all of my life, if there's one thing that I could do, if there's one thing that I'm focusing on, it's so that I can retire and that I can live on a golf course and that I can eat at nice restaurants and I could take it easy for the rest of my life. That's not what he said. For the rest of my life, I want to be rooted and planted and built up in the house of God. He had a heart for the house. He had a passion to be surrounded by God's people. I wonder, do we have a heart for the house? Now, that's more than just something that we say. I was reading an article just this week, according to the Wall Street Journal, just, just this past week, the most recent data that we have, they talked about how church attendance in the United States over the last 10 years has been on a major decline. But because of the pandemic and because of lockdowns and COVID, uh, this past year in 2021, we're seeing uh, church attendance even down 30 to 50% pre-pandemic. And so we see this radical uh, spiral downward of church attendance. And so uh, the idea today is we have to get engaged and re-engaged into the work of the ministry, into the house of the Lord. Now, we come to 2 Kings chapter 22 today. And what we find is a young king that had a heart for the house. Now, if you study uh, redemptive history and you study all the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, uh, you quickly find that a lot of them had an evil heart, right? The Bible says constantly, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. They did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Well, in 2 Kings 22, we're introduced to a very rare exception, and uh, this was King Josiah. And before we dive deep into the text today, I want us to lay a little bit of groundwork. And so if you have your Bible today, let's look at verse number 1. Second Kings chapter 22, verse number one says this, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. Eight years old, okay? Now, just to give us a little perspective and context on this, my oldest daughter, Liv, is eight years old. She is in second grade, and I have spent some time with her second grade class, and I've observed their behavior, and I would not conclude that any of them are ready to lead the country at this moment, right? And uh, she's eight years old, and uh, her, her class filled with active uh, second graders. Well, that's Josiah. He's eight years old when he became king. Now, undoubtedly, he had some priests and elders and tutors that would help uh, come alongside him until he came of age. But he was very young when he became king. Notice verse number one again. It says, and he reigned 30 and one years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah of Bozkath. And so we're introduced to a little bit of his family. It's interesting that his father is not mentioned, Josiah. If you read in chapter number 21, you realize that his, fire, uh, his father was a man named Ammon. And Ammon was a wicked, terrible king. And uh, he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And so already in 2 Kings 22, verse number 1, we're introduced to two things about Josiah. He was very young, and he came from a wicked family background. Two things were against him right away, his age and his heritage. But I want you to see verse number two. How did he respond to this? Everybody still with me? Verse two. And he did that which was right 
in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the way of David, his father, and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. He stayed focused on what he believed God wanted him to do, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And I just want to encourage somebody today. It doesn't matter what your age is. You might think I'm too young to serve God. You might think I'm too old to make an impact for God. You might think, man, I came from a a terrible family background. You don't know my family history. Hey, whatever your age is, whatever your background is, God wants to use you right where you are. Josiah was a young man and he had his family going against him, but he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. He didn't use that as an excuse. Uh, And by the way, uh, the Bible tells us furthermore in further commentary in verse Chronicles that talks about Josiah. It said that eight years into his reign, he began to remove the idols from the land. He, He decided eight years into his reign to get really serious about the Lord. You do the math. He became king at eight. He started to get real serious at eight. That meant that he, when he was 16 years old, he started to make some serious decisions for Christ as a teenager, as a young person. See, our culture today has put a really low ceiling on teenagers and youth. Hey, let them just live their lives. Let them just do whatever they want. Let them experiment. Let them just kind of have fun. We don't have high expectations on young people, but the Bible says, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example. Hey, God wants to use young people to do a great thing for God. We, we sometimes put such a low expectation on young people and children. I was reading this week that David Livingston, the famous missionary, he had all of Psalm 119 memorized by nine years old. That's the longest chapter in the Bible. See, and what we do is we're so distracted in things of the world and we're so, uh, our attention is so quickly gone to so many different places, but never underestimate what God can do in a child, what God can do in a young person. And so we see right at the bat, this King Josiah, uh, he was a young man, his family was against him, but he decided to do that which was right in the sight of the Lord. In fact, 2 Chronicles 35, verse number 26 says this, now the rest of the acts of Josiah and his goodness, according to that which was written in the law of the Lord. And so he was one of the best, if not uh, one of the the best Jewish kings uh, since the time of David. Josiah, he started well, he continued well, and he ended well. And what we see is ultimately, Josiah had a heart for the house. He had a heart for the house. And I want us to see it in 2 Kings 22. And if you're taking notes today, I want to give us five indications, five indications of someone that has a heart for the house. So we're going to learn from Josiah. Is everybody ready today? Five indications of someone that has a heart for the house. Number one, there must be generosity. There must be generosity. All right, let's pick it up in verse number three. And it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah, so now he's 26 years old, that the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, the scribe, to the house of the Lord, saying. And so Josiah now is 26 years old, and he sends a man named Shaphan to the house of the Lord for the purpose of overseeing a restoration project. What they wanted to do is they wanted to rebuild the temple. The temple had been neglected. The temple had been forgotten about. People were not faithfully faithfully worshiping the Lord. And so Josiah wants to go and build it back up. And he wants Shaphan, the scribe, to oversee this restoration project. And uh, by the way, if we're not careful, we will let the house of God go into disrepair. And we will overlook the importance and the significance of the house of the Lord. And so what Josiah did as a young man was he said, you know what? We need to rebuild and build back up the temple. We need to get this project going. And so that's what uh, he desired to do. Now, notice verse number four. He says, go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may sum the silver 
which is brought into the house of the Lord. So he says, I want you to find, he says, Shaphan, I want you to find Hilkiah, the high priest, and I want you to count up all the money and see how much money we have available so that we can uh, restore and rebuild the temple. If you're going to have a restoration project of this magnitude, uh, there's going to be some resources that are required. We're going to have to see uh, what funds are available. And so he says, go and sum the silver, which is brought into the house of the Lord. Watch this, which the keepers of the door have gathered of the people. And so they need uh, to understand their financial situation. And so he says, go and count the money that has been already gathered by the people. And so apparently there was already some sort of systematic giving structure that was in place because he doesn't say go and take an offering. He says, go and count what has already been given. Now, if you study uh, a few chapters previous to second Kings chapter 22, you find that there was a king named Jehoash and he decided to establish a plan for the offerings of the temple. And it says this in 2 Kings chapter 12, verse number 9. But Jehoiada the priest took a chest, and he bored a hole in the lid of it, and set it aside the altar. And on the right side, as one comes into the house of the Lord, and the priest that kept the door put therein all the money that was brought into the house of the Lord. And so all the way back in chapter number 12, we see that the people started to give. They started to give generously. They started to give consistently. And so when Josiah came along and said, hey, now it's time to rebuild the temple, to restore the temple, they were already in a position to do the work of the Lord. Do you see how their generosity enabled them to be in a position to move forward in the work of the Lord? And see, I believe that God has blessed us with this location. Anybody believe that God has blessed us with this location as a church? But I also know that that as we grow and as God continues to work, as we believe that he will, that God is going to provide for us a new location or we're going to have 12 services in this location. But either way, we're going to move forward for the, uh, for the cause of the Lord, right? And we believe that God wants to provide for us a building. And so what we want to do now is to put ourselves in a position so when that day comes, we're ready to move forward. We're ready because we have a heart for the house, and if you have a heart for the house, there must be generosity. That's what December 12th is all about, this heart for the house. We want to say, you know what? We're believing that God has a future for Rock Hill Church and that God wants to establish a permanent work here in the Inland Empire that will make a dent in all of eternity. And so we want to give consistently and faithfully uh, towards this one-time special offering so that we can see God continue to work and we can be in a position to get into the future building that we believe God has for us. Last week, I was so encouraged by our service together. We had a special Thanksgiving service last week, and we had uh, several different people come on stage to give a testimony of life change and what uh, God is doing in their lives. And I was reminded in that moment, sitting right there, this is what it's all about. This is what it's, we can get so distracted by everything else that's going on and what we think the ministry is and what we think that our responsibility is. But at the end of the day, we're all about reaching people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. That's why we want to give sacrificially to the heart for the house offering so that we can be in a position to move forward. Now, you might think, well, man, I'm not ready. I, I, I don't know if I have uh, the resources available to participate in something like this. And I believe that uh, the churches in Macedonia give us such a great encouragement and example. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 1, it says this. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God that was bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia, talking about how God's grace enabled them and empowered them to give and to help other churches and to help uh, support the work of the ministry, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty. And if you study that word poverty in the Greek, it doesn't mean that they had a little. It means that they had nothing. So, so it wasn't like they just, you know, didn't have any extra. It means they were living in deep poverty. They didn't have anything. But yet they had joy 
And in a deep poverty, they abounded in the riches of their liberality. In other words, even though they had nothing and were in deep poverty, they were still generous. They still gave. He says, for I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. They gave even above and beyond their ability. You know what that's called? That's called grace giving. That's called giving by faith. Even when it doesn't make sense, I want to faithfully give to the Lord because I'm trusting him by faith to do a work. Augustine said this, God is always trying to give good things to us, but our hands are too full to receive them. God always wants to bestow his blessings upon us, but so often we're gripping too tightly to what we already have. And so if we're going to have a heart for the house, there must be generosity. We see this uh, in 2 Kings 22. Here's the second thought today. Uh, If we're going to have a heart for the house, there must be activity. Activity. Everybody still with me? Activity. Notice verse number five. It says this, and let them deliver it into the hand of the doers. Everybody say doers. Give it to the doers of the work. Somebody has to do the work and get active and involved in the work that they have the oversight of the house of the Lord and let them give it to the doers of the work, which is in the house of the Lord to repair the breaches of the house and unto the carpenters and builders and masons to buy timber and hewn stone to repair the house. And so now uh, the project has begun. And you can imagine the hustle and bustle around the temple. It was like extreme makeover church edition, right? They're just uh, getting everything going. They're restoring. They're building. There's construction uh, taking place. And uh, I read about that this week. And I thought about when we first got into this building. And when we first got into this building, it was just a completely empty building. I mean, there was no lights in here, no projectors. Um, uh, there, there was nothing. And we had a lot of church work nights. And it was so fun uh, getting together with so many in our church and just uh, uh, doing the work of the ministry here at the church building. I think we have some pictures today. And uh, just when uh, this was an empty building and just kind of coming and envisioning what God could uh, do in this place and, and uh, just so many different construction projects going on. And I thought about that and I thought, you know, uh, most of those types of construction projects are done. But how many of you know spiritually we're just getting started? And there's a lot of work that still needs to be done. And we need to keep on advancing, keep on moving forward and getting active and involved in the work of the Lord. Hey, there's got to be generosity, but there's got to be activity. We cannot be spectators sitting on the sideline. We have to be serving and soldiers on the front line. We've got to keep on moving forward. There's got to be some doers of the work, some doers. Uh, The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 3, for we are laborers together with God. You see that work is not a curse that God established work in the garden and responsibility in the garden before the fall of man. Sometimes we think, man, work is just, oh, I got to go to work, and work is just such a curse, and we just live for the day off, and we just live for a vacation, which I think we should have rhythm in life, and we should have rest. I preached a whole sermon series on it in 2020. We should have rhythm, but work is a good thing. We're laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder. I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. And so apparently it matters how we build and how we work and how we are involved in the work of the Lord. I remember when I was in college, I took a coaching basketball class. And the professor of that class made a statement that always kind of stuck with me. He said, there's a big difference between being a coach and building a program. A coach just shows up to practices and a coach just shows up to the games. But someone that's building the program is going to invest in new jerseys and paint the locker room and go to new tournaments. There's a big difference between coaching a team and building a program. I wonder when it comes to the house of the Lord, do you have a builder mindset? We're building. 
We're laborers together with God. We're not just here kind of biding time. No, we're moving forward. We're building. We're actively involved in the work of the ministry. I love that in verse number six. It took all kinds of people to move forward in the work of God. It took uh, carpenters, builders, masons, all different kinds of roles. How many of you know that in the work of God, in the spiritual house, we have all different kinds of roles that God has blessed us with? And sometimes we think, well, that role is more important and that role is more significant. No, we are all laborers together with God. And God has given all of us spiritual gifts to be deployed in service for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We're to be active. First Peter 4 says it this way in verse number 10. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister. The same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister or serve, let him do it to the ability which God has given him. Uh, That God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That is why we believe that every member is a minister. Every saint is a servant. Hey, I don't know what spiritual gift God has given you. I don't know if it's a spiritual gift of serving, singing, giving, encouraging, smiling cleaning. I don't know what spiritual gift God has given you. The question that I have this morning is this, is it active? Is it active? Sometimes I think that we convince ourselves that we're too busy. We convince ourselves that we're too busy. And anytime there's an opportunity to serve the Lord, sometimes we take a step back. I don't know. I got a lot on my plate right now. Did you know that maybe you are busy because you are supposed to be busy? The one time that David fell into deep sin with Bathsheba was because he wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. So again, I'm all for taking rest. I think we should have rhythm. I think you should have a day off. I think you should practice the principle of Sabbath. But sometimes we convince ourselves that we're too busy. And I believe this, God will bless an active church. When, it, when there's this mindset and attitude, hey, anytime the doors are open, I'm there. I want to be active, involved in the work of the Lord. God will honor and God will bless an active church. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 15. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always abounding. The only alternative to spiritual activity is spiritual atrophy. When we're not active, we're going to dwindle. We're going to waste the abilities and the gifts that God has given us. Hebrews 10 says this. This is a a verse that's been often quoted uh, throughout the last year and a half. Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. When you have a heart for the house, you want to assemble. You want to gather together and be with God's people. We're a family. It's a household. Then he says this, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And I like this little phrase. And so much the more. So much the more as you see the day approaching. We live in a culture and a generation of Christianity that's so much the less. What's the bare minimum? What's the least amount of things that I can do possible? Hey, I want to do more for the work of the Lord. Hey, I don't know when Jesus is coming back, but I believe he's coming back soon. And I want to be active in the ministry. I want to have a mindset that says so much the more. Hey, if we're going to have a heart for the house, there's got to be generosity, but then there has to be activity. We've got to be active, involved in the work of the Lord. Here's the third thing. Uh, Number three is this. The third indication that you have a heart for the house is there must be integrity integrity. Notice verse number seven. It says this, Howbeit there was no reckoning made with them of the money that was delivered into their hand because they dealt faithfully. This is a really interesting and amazing verse so that they had to collect all the funds, the financial situation together to move forward with the project of restoring the temple. 
And then we see this little phrase that all the people that handled the money, they didn't even have to go and check up on them because they had that much integrity. They dealt faithfully. And so he says, hey, uh, you don't even need to worry about that. They were that uh, faithful. They had that high, that high level of integrity. I'm thankful as a church, uh, we have several layers of accountability when it comes to counting offerings and multiple ushers. And we have purchase orders and every receipt is inputted. And we have a high level of accountability because we want to do the work of the Lord with integrity. I, I wonder in your life, do you strive for a high level of integrity? Are you a man or a woman of your word? I think it's so interesting in verse number seven that they didn't even have to check. They didn't, nobody even worried about what the money was going to be used for because they had that kind of integrity, that, that kind of, of faithfulness. They exemplified a great level of integrity, and so the work of the Lord could move forward. I was reading this week, USA Today said that trust in our country has fallen from 86% in 1976, which I thought was a pretty interesting number in and of itself, that in 1976, uh, we trusted each other uh, 86%. 86% of citizens trusted each other. Now, uh, this year in 2021, that number has fallen to 55%. And so you can see that trust, and it's no surprise to anyone, that trust is rapidly declining. And we have to understand and recognize that if we're going to move forward and have a heart for the house, there must be integrity. There must be uh, reliability and, and faithfulness uh, moving forward. And so the people are, they're actively involved in the ministry. They were giving. There was integrity. And then in verse number eight, something amazing happens in our text. All right, something amazing happens. Uh, notice it in verse number eight. And Hilkiah, the high priest, said unto Shaphan, the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. They made an amazing discovery. And this leads us to our fourth thought today, if you're taking notes. If we're going to have a heart for the house, there must be discovery. Discovery. So here they are. They're cleaning out the temple, and they make this amazing discovery. They find the book of the Lord. Uh, Back in uh, 1947, there was a a Hebrew boy that was uh, chasing a goat on the north uh, side of the Red Sea or the Dead Sea. And uh, he was chasing his goat, and his goat ran into a little cave, and so he picked up a rock, and he threw it inside of the cave, and he heard a, a ceramic pot break. And so he went inside, and they discovered that inside that pot there were uh, these leather and papyrus scrolls, which happened to be the Hebrew Bible dating all the way back to the first century and before. It was an amazing discovery, what we now know as the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's an amazing discovery that shows the preservation of God's word. Well, in 2 Kings chapter 22, we have one of the most amazing discoveries in all of history. Hilkiah, the high priest, they're cleaning out the temple. They're moving things around. They're restoring the temple. And all of a sudden, Hilkiah sees something. He sees a scroll. He sees uh, the book uh, of the Lord, the word of the Lord. Some people think that this was the entire Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Others think that it was just Deuteronomy. But either way, they found the word of the Lord. And here's why that's so amazing. For 75 years in Judah, the word of God was absent. For 75 years, no one read the Bible. No one read the word of the Lord. 75 years, the book was closed. It was set on a shelf somewhere, and no one referred to it. And that's why you can read all the previous chapters of why there was so much heartache and devastation. Because the Bible says in Proverbs, where there is no vision, the people perish. Sometimes we talk about that word vision in that verse, and we think, man, that, that's talking about a leader and foresight. And No, no, that verse is talking about the word of God. Where there is no vision, the people will perish. For 75 years, the word of God was on a shelf. No one was reading it. Now today, our problem is not access to the word of God. 
right? We have more access to the Word of God than anyone in human history. You can look up the Word of God on your phone, on the computer, uh, multiple uh, copies of God's Word surrounding us on a daily basis. Anytime you want to read the Word of God, you can. Our problem is not access to the Word of God. Our problem is application of the Word of God. Are we actually doing what it says? For 75 years, the Word of God was neglected. I wonder, how long has it been in your spiritual life since you've opened up God's Word and made a new wonderful discovery? since you've discovered the amazing and wonderful truths that are contained in the word of God. See, if we have a heart for the house, we have to have a heart for God's word, and we have to, on a daily basis, discover all that God wants to communicate to us through his word. They didn't have the word of God for 75 years. All of a sudden, they discovered uh, the book. There was excitement surrounding that. The Bible says this in the New Testament in John chapter 5. Jesus said, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. He says, search the scriptures. We talked about it last week with the church at Berea, searching the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. Hey, we have to be a people that are serious about the word of God, that we can't just neglect God's word and put it on a shelf somewhere, but on a daily basis, we have to respect and dive deep into God's word. So they made this discovery. Now, let's notice verse number nine. So they make this discovery, and uh, Shaphan the scribe, he's real excited about it. He, and Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it, verse 9. And Shaphan the scribe came to the king, and he brought the king word again. So he comes back to Josiah. Josiah is 26 years old, and he said, Thy servants have gathered the money that was found in the house. So, so first, he doesn't just uh, overlook his original assignment. He still gives an update on the resources, on the finances. He says, uh, I did what you asked me to do. He gives an update on the assignment. And then he says, and I have delivered it into the hand of them that do the work that have oversight of the house of the Lord. Verse 10, and Shaphan the scribe showed the king saying, Hilkiah the high priest hath delivered me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And so now they bring the book to Josiah and this leads us to our fifth and final thought today. It's this, if we're going to have a heart for the house, there must be humility. There must be humility. You have one more in you today? So they bring the book, they bring the word of the Lord to Josiah, a good king, a godly king. And notice how he responds to being read the word of God by Shaphan the scribe. Notice, notice how he responds, verse number 11. And it came to pass when the king had heard the words of the book of the law that he rent his clothes. Now, to rent your clothes, this was a sign of great repentance and conviction. He's showing humility. He, he hears the word of God, and he has great conviction. By the way, this should be the response when we hear the word of God taught or preached, or when we read the word of God, there should be some conviction. Now, the gospel is wonderful good news. There is hope in the gospel message. And because the gospel is the good news, that means that we have hope and we can rejoice and we can be encouraged in the word of the Lord. Aren't you thankful for that today, that we can be encouraged from the word of God? But we can't neglect the fact that God loves us so much to leave us just how we are. And so there should be some conviction when we read the word of the Lord. There should be uh, the pricking of the heart, as it says in the New Testament. In fact, the Bible says this in Acts chapter 2, verse number 37. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. You know what that is? That's conviction. They were pricked in the heart. And they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Can I encourage you today? Please hear me. When it comes to the word of the Lord, keep a soft heart. Keep a soft heart. When there is the preaching of the word of God, when you're reading the Bible in the morning, when you're reading the Bible in the evening for devotions, 
ask, what does God want me to do? And we're not just hearers of the word, but we're doers. And we're keeping a soft heart. We're not just letting it go in one ear and out the other. There, there always should be a decision that's made. Because the word of God reads us and transforms us from the inside out. And so Josiah, he keeps a soft heart and he rents his clothes in a sign of conviction. And because of that, there was some mercy towards the end of his life. Now, here's what happens. All right, everybody still with me? I'm going to give you the conclusion of the story. So they make this amazing discovery, 75 years without the word of the Lord. Now they have it. Josiah says, man, we need someone to interpret this for us. We need someone to explain this to us. We can't just uh, uh, try to figure this out on our own. We need to have some community. We need to have some direction. And so they go and find the prophetess named Hulda. And they went to Hulda, the prophetess, and they said, would you please explain to us what this means? And so they go to Hulda. She begins to explain to them what the word of the Lord means. And what the word of the Lord for them was, was actually a sign of judgment because they had rejected the Lord for so long and continually went their own way and worshiped false idols. There was judgment. That was the message. So it wasn't just a real feel good, inspirational talk from Hulda. She let him have it. But because Josiah responded with humility, there was a different outcome. Are you ready for it? I want you to see it in verse number 19. Are you ready? Verse 19, it says this. Because thine heart, this is Holda talking, because thine heart was tender, a soft heart, and thou hast humbled thyself before the Lord, because you were humble, Josiah, because you had a soft heart, when thou heardest the things that I spake against this place and against the inhabitants thereof, that they should not become a desolation and a curse, and has rent thy clothes and wept before me, I have also heard thee, saith the Lord. Behold, therefore, I will gather unto thee thy fathers, and thou shalt be gathered into thy grave in peace, and thine eyes shall not see all the evil which I will bring upon this place. And they brought the king word again. And so in other words, because Josiah had humility, God showed him mercy. Because he had humility, God showed him favor. Now, Josiah didn't need to respond in humility. He could have said, this isn't my fault. Blame my father and and blame my grandfather. Hey, there were 75 years worth of people before me that neglected the scripture. I just showed up onto the scene. This isn't my fault. He could have easily pointed the finger somewhere else. But instead, he rent his clothes in a sign of conviction and humility. And because he showed humility, there was honor. By the way, you can mark it down in your life. Wherever there is pride, there will be pain. Wherever there is humility, there will be honor. He responded with humility. Because of that, God showed him mercy. By the way, aren't you thankful that God shows us mercy? The Bible says in Ephesians that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were dead. We were trapped. There was nothing that we could do. But God, who is rich in mercy, he made us alive by the grace of God. Is anybody thankful today for the mercy of God and for the grace of God? And he made a way when there was no way. And so even when we're imperfect, even when we get it wrong, God's grace is sufficient for us. He responded with humility. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 5, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I don't know about you, but I don't want God to resist the pride or the arrogance in my life. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so the question that I have for us today is we consider the heart for the house offering and as a church family, if we have a heart for the house, is your heart in alignment with God's heart? By the way, all of the qualities, the commendable qualities that we see in Josiah, we see perfectly fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is our humble king. 
Jesus is our servant king. Jesus is our generous king. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 8 and verse number 9. As I read this verse, would you join me in standing today? The Bible says this. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes, everybody say for our sake, for our sake, he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Can I tell you today, Jesus died so that you could live that Jesus gave everything so that you could experience salvation. He gave it all so that you could be forgiven. And the question that I have for us today, if you have received and accepted Jesus Christ is, is your heart in alignment with God's heart? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today.